Welcome to KJV Cafe. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen. Each episode of the cafe is dedicated to studying the Bible verse by verse from Genesis through Revelation. Your host here at the cafe is Bible teacher Clark Covington. Looks like the coffee is hot and ready, so let's get started. Welcome to the cafe. Pastor Clark Covington here with another episode of KJV Cafe. So glad you're here today with me to study God's word. We're in this fascinating part of Genesis chapter three as we're working our way through. And uh, yesterday we we're in verse six and today we're getting into verse seven. Amen. And as we look through Genesis three, we see the progression of uh, going from perfection in the Garden of Eden to being tempted by the devil, being lied to by the devil, being told a lie that the devil actually wanted for himself, and he's not going to achieve, and Adam and Eve didn't achieve, giving in to this lust of the tree looked good, the fruit looked good, everything looked good, and then eating the fruit. And we see here in verse 6, and I'm going to repeat that. I'm going to get one aspect of verse 6, and then we'll go on to verse 7. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, what does that say about Adam? Okay? I mean, Adam was made by God, right? God's creation from the dust. He doesn't have someone for help, so God makes Eve out of his rib bone to help him, right? And then she, he gets into this entanglement with the devil, and it was completely targeted. The devil's really subtle. He's going to go after that weaker vessel, okay? And that doesn't mean physically weaker or intellectually weaker. It just means spiritually she was the one to attack. He's going to go after her. He tricks her, and then what happens? She took the fruit, fruit thereof, and, and she ate it, and she gave it unto her husband, and he ate it. Now, you can think about this a lot of different ways, but at the end of the day, this is the whole perversion, okay? Like, the man should have been in charge and said, don't eat this. But instead, he not only allows her to eat it, but then he takes her gift, or if you want to call it a gift, it's really a curse, takes the curse from her and says, yeah, I'll have some, you know, what kind of backbone is that? You know, it, it, it's really fascinating because ultimately Adam is held responsible for his household as the man of the house. And ultimately they're both expelled from the garden of Eden. But immediately in verse six, everything changes. And we see that here in verse seven, which we'll get to when we come right back from this break. You're listening to KJV Cafe. We encourage you to look us up on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Now let's get back to some more in-depth Bible study. Amen. Okay, so we see here, here's our verse in Genesis 3, and it's verse 7 for today. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. How fascinating. So up to the first two chapters, of, through the first two chapters of scripture, you know, this isn't mentioned really. I mean, you mentioned they were naked. They weren't ashamed, but it's, you know, they weren't, they weren't concerned about these things. 
but now they made aprons, you know? So not only were they cognizant now that they were naked, but they were cognizant now of what to cover up, which I think is kind of says a lot there in and of itself. And they're in the garden and they knew, they knew that, 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 that this was different now. Their eyes were open, the Bible says. This is obviously referring to something deeper than pure eyesight. I mean, their eyes were already opened, right? They could already see, okay? You know, I mean, the, the serpent says, can you not eat of these fruits? And she says, well, the fruit uh, in the midst of the garden, he said, I shouldn't eat that. Well, how would she know where that is if she can't see? I mean, she can see, right? So what is this referring to? It's referring to morality, knowledge of good and evil, this aspect about us that understands how things are in life um, that otherwise we wouldn't, that aspect of us that understands things like shame. You know, for example, I mean, you have like a little kid, you know, they'll walk around the house naked. They don't even care. They don't know, you know, they're very innocent in that regard, right? But an adult, you know, wouldn't walk around the house naked. It's certainly not with people in it. You know, that that's for sure. Uh, and so we see here that things have changed. Their eyes are opened. They now know what they shouldn't have known. Their moral eyes are open. So what that means is, you know what? This sin has had dramatic uh, impact all right off the bat. I, I don't know. It doesn't say, oh, they were happy as a clam, happy-go-lucky, and so forth. But you got to imagine they were happy in the garden just, I mean, almost being, you know, blissfully ignorant of these sort of things, right? They were happy. They didn't have any anything to put them down. And now immediately, I mean, they eat the fruit in verse six and then in verse seven, their eyes are opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves. They said, hey, let's get some leaves together and start sewing. You know, that's the first thing they do. They make themselves aprons because they were ashamed. Remember in the, in the last verse of Genesis two, they weren't ashamed at all. And so when sin enters the picture, all of a sudden we realize we're guilty. And instead of what we should do, call out to God and repent, what do we do? We try to find some way to cover it. And then literally, they were trying to cover it there. They knew they were naked. Their nakedness is used to showcase something that was different before sin and different after sin, right? Something that was one way, you know, it was a green light before sin and now it's a red light after, right? Well, what is that? I believe that's called shame, right? And so we when we fall into sin, we develop a shame and our reaction is to cover ourselves rather than seek the Lord. And the reason why we do that is because we've fallen into sin and we're ashamed. You know, we're ashamed. We don't want anyone to know, you know, we want to um, do something wrong and hide it, right? Does that fix the problem? Did the apron fix the relationship with God? It did not. We see in the very next verse, not to get ahead of myself, but in the very next verse, we see, uh, and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So it didn't, it didn't, it, that apron didn't fix things. And the reason why I'm harping on this is when we fall into sin and we try to cover it up, right? It doesn't fix things. If you go on your computer and on your browser 
and you look at something you shouldn't on your computer and then you clear out your history, right? So that people wouldn't be able to see allegedly, though, by the way, I'm sure there's a database somewhere. Google knows what you did. But anyways, so does God, not just Google, but God, that, that message will preach. But, um, you know, you could clear out your message in a browser. Maybe you called someone you shouldn't and you're going to delete that contact. You can delete that contact, but God still knows. You know, maybe you go and drink something you weren't supposed to and you go throw that bottle out and hide it. You think God doesn't know? I mean, let's say you have a thought and you never mention a word of the thought. You think God doesn't know? Do you think the maker of your brain, the maker of thoughts in general, he doesn't know what you're thinking? That is a foolish, foolish way to act. And yet we see Adam and Eve act that way. And if we're honest, we're no better. As we fall into sin, we often just want to cover it up. We just want people not to know. That is a sad state of how people are living in the world today. And, and what we're seeing here is, you know what? As their eyes are opened, they're not repentant. And we see in verse 8 that they're going to hide from God. And that hiding from God reveals it, uh, something about us much more than about him. It shows that, number one, I mean, first of all, number one, you can't hide from God, right? I've heard it said in a recent uh book I was reading, like a commentary type book that, you know, you can, if you go to a different city, can you hide from God or a different town or a different country or a different planet? Is there anywhere you can hide from God? There's nowhere that you can hide from God. I'll bring up a verse about that. Let's look here at Psalm, uh, Psalm 139 verses four through 10. And you could read the whole Psalm to get more context, but for time's sake, we'll look at Psalm 139. Verses 4 through 10, David writes, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, Lord, lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. David properly points out in verse 6, by the way, we can't even understand what God understands. We don't even have the, like, the bandwidth to consider what God considers. His ways are so much higher than our ways. That's out of Isaiah. Amen. Verse 7, Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. And he goes on that we can't hide from God, that our substance is not hid from God, that no matter where we go or what we do, he is there. It says in verse four, you know, there's not a word on my tongue. You know it, right? He knows your thoughts. He knows your words. He knows everything. And so all of this should lead us to a point of humility that we desire to repent before a holy God because God desires all to come to repentance, all to come to knowledge to him, for him, amen, that we simply need to understand who we are. We need to understand our form and stop playing games with God, stop exhibiting willful ignorance with God. You know what? You can trick me, you could trick someone else, but you can't trick him, right? And what we see is almost like an instinct of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden sewing aprons. They're like freaking out. What do we do? What do we do? We ate that, that, that fruit we weren't supposed to eat. Uh, you know, we're supposed to die now. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? So they start sewing an apron, you know, and it didn't work. They go hide and that doesn't work. And it's like an instinct. And we see so much that when we fall into sin, we fall on our, our, our fallen sinful instincts to cover up the decision that we made. And that doesn't change the consequence. 
And you say, Brother Clark, well, what would change the consequence? The only thing that will change the consequence is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, being God himself, died for our sins at Calvary so that we would not have to pay the eternal price of hell because he died for our sins on the cross at Calvary and was risen again. He paid our sin debt. This is the idea of the substitutionary death. So by Christ going to the cross at Calvary and saying, I'm sinless, I'm perfect, but obediently I won't even open my mouth. You go ahead and crucify me. I'll be in the ground three days and I'll be risen again because God the Father raised him out of the grave to show that he truly is the Christ. And now all that believe on him are saved. When we accept Christ as Savior, we're appropriating his righteousness to ourselves. We are Our debt is paid. We are no longer under this, the curse. We're no longer under the law. We are now forgiven and free in Jesus Christ. And that all comes because we need it. Jesus Christ died on the cross, not because he was showing that he could, not because he was trying to save a few, but because we all, the Bible says, all have fallen short, amen, we all need Jesus as Savior. And so what we see is from the very beginning, from the very first creation of God in human form, from Adam all the way till present day, all the way through the rest of humanity till the Lord returns, we are all sinful. We are all uh, fallen. We are all in need of that Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we trust Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And once we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, God, help us not to sin, that we live by the Holy Spirit, that we learn his word, not that we're perfect, but that we're improving each day, that we're striving to be like Christ each day, that we are living humbly, knowing our form, knowing that at any moment we could fall into sin if we aren't yoked up with him, not living pridefully, not making our own decisions, not being the captain of our own ship, but making Christ the captain of our life, living for him, serving him, being yoked up with him, amen. That's what it means when the Bible says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When we follow the Lord, we don't have to worry about these snares and traps. If Adam and Eve had just said, hold on, devil, let me go ahead and get Jesus on the line. Let me go ahead and pray about this. Let me get, go ahead and obey my father and say, I will not. Let me go ahead and quote scripture. You know, if they had just done those things, they wouldn't have fallen into sin. But they didn't do those things. And many people here today are still not doing those things. How foolish does man look? They have God's word, this perfect example of what it's like to be tempted, and yet they will not seek him and will not be saved by him. It is a tragedy among all tragedies. Tune in next time as we get to the next episode here. Thank you for listening. Take care. God bless and amen. Thanks for spending time with us today at the cafe. We would love to hear from you. You can email Brother Clark directly at Clark at EnduringPromise.org. See you again tomorrow, same time, same place.